from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of school for startups radio it is friday february 16th i hope you have had a great week and have some plans for a fun weekend we've got a great show for you today first up we have art powell he is the founder of trensic which is a an austin based cloud alternative to microsoft and all of the others amazing really cool company very impressed with uh, their culture and all the things that art is doing there. So I'm excited for you to meet him after that, Doug Lenner and Chuck Waffendorfer are with us to talk about their new book called don't wait for someone else to fix it, which is a great, great way for all of us entrepreneurs to think about all of our lives, right? We are going to be the ones fixing things. So I'm excited for you to meet Doug and Chuck's. Uh, to meet Doug and Chuck and to hear about their book. We've got amazing stuff coming up next week. We're going to talk about anti-marketing, life in the trading pits, the old-timey trading pits, the new version of that. We're going to meet with a New York Times bestselling author who's written a new book on the Bitcoin. It's a Bitcoin thriller. He says there's a flaw in Bitcoin, and he exposes it in this new thriller. We're going to talk about how to get federal contracts we're going to meet with the renegade doctor and how to make money renting your RV. Oh, and a bio entrepreneur all next week. Amazing stuff. Anyway, we'll get started with today's show in just a second. We're back and again. I Thank you so very much for being with us. Very excited to introduce my first guest. His name is Art Powell. He is the founder of a company called Trinsic. They are in the tech space. He's been doing tech for 25 years, was the first on his block to get the 25 KPS uh, modem. Started Trinsic about 18 years ago, I think, and has been running it ever since. They have recently started doing AI as well, and we were talk about that. Very active in giving back and mentoring entrepreneurs and likes to go to church. Art, welcome. How you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me, Jim. So tell us about Trinsic and what are the services you're offering today? Yeah, thanks. Um, we started it, uh, eight, or I founded it 18 years ago, and we live in four buckets. AI, uh, technology consulting, um, technology services, and then cloud. We built our own cloud uh, because we're just a glutton for punishment. Um, so we, uh, we do not use Amazon, Google, or any of the others. We actually built our own from scratch, and that has really been a growing, uh, grow, growing a lot of revenue as of recent. So, Why would you do? What was the decision behind that? 
Yeah, we're control freaks. <laughs> if I'm being honest, uh, we didn't did not want the the company's destinies in the hands of other people. Um, that's panned out really well. We've had higher uptime and less problems in the big three, and um, our customers seem to want, particularly the small, medium sized business who we deal with. They really want to trust the partner that they're dealing with and know them well, and we give them that ability to do so. So, my understanding of the cloud is your stuff, your data exists all over the place on many machines all over. So it doesn't matter if the Austin machine is down because the Barcelona machine has the stuff too. Is that fair? Correct. Yeah. It's, it's, so how that is a fair way to look cloud? at it. You have to go and create your own Barcelona. Yeah. We, we have built our own hardware. That's why I said we're nuts because for a small company our size, it's crazy. So to spread even out begin in how many places? Uh, right now too, uh, we, we typically we're dealing with SMB market, so they're not as worried about having, you know, having 20 different locations as maybe a fortune 500 company would. So we are able to meet their needs and do it in a very cost effective way. Okay. And what would the normal client look like and what would they come to you needing and what would the solution look like? Yeah, a typical client is anywhere from 40 desktops to about 200 is where we start capping. We have some larger than 200, but we typically do piecemeal work for them or we take siphon off certain sections. But typically the clients are growing. They're growing fast. They've looked down at their IT and realized, you know, oh, my God, we got a mess. Uh, uh, we come, That's why we come in consulting first. We want to get to know them, have them, you know, establish a relationship, make sure that both sides want to work together. And then we deal things at both the strategic and tactical level so we don't do things just we're not just a band-aid company we're a true partner we really want to come in and help them get make the it work for them art my son just turned 13 and last weekend he built his own computer from scratch he researched what board he wanted what intel yep. chip he wanted what video card nvidia he wanted made sure they were all compatible, built the whole thing, turned it on and not a damn thing happened. And <laughs> I was so interested to see how he responded. He didn't really have any expression or anything at all. And then five minutes later, he found that one of the cables was loose a little bit and pushed it a little harder. And then the whole thing worked. And Can I get his resume? So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think, you know, this is what I, it's like my nephew who we put through mechanical school. He's a mechanic in a Nissan dealership. He's making money hand over fist. It's, uh, IT is not going away. And, you know, it's only going to, the demand for IT people are going to only increase. So it's a great field for uh, particularly, you know, young men and women who have that technical bent to get into. I, I highly encourage it. We had a lot of fun doing it too. And yeah, that's I, good. That's a good attitude. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, we paid extra for all of the led lights. You know, the fan has lights to the little light spin and I, you know, that's the last thing you need, but if that makes it sexy and interesting to him, I will buy led light up fans <laughs> all day long. Yeah, well, I'm looking at mine right now, and it's the same one. So I, <laughs> I actually, I can actually understand your 13 year old son very well. Yes, oh, it's cool. Uh, as hell. I mean, I, I won't deny. I mean, it's got lights yeah. on the RAM chips and everywhere, and I mean, it's just. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I tell, yeah, I tell kids if you look at graduating classes, 
when I've gone to my nephew's classes who are in IT, like they're announcing like who has job and all the nurses, all the IT people, they all have jobs waiting for them the moment they get out of college. So there you go. You know, it's just, there's a big demand for it. All right. Back to Trenzik. What has been the hardest part Look, before we do that? Switch <laughs> gears now. Art, go back 20 years in time and tell us the entrepreneurial history. So what were you doing? Why'd you decide to start your own business? How did you do it? What'd you do first? Where'd you get the money? Who was the first customer? Go on a entrepreneurial startup rant. Go. Yeah, you bet. So this is my third business. I started 20 years ago. I'm a reluctant entrepreneur. I had never, if you had told me when I was 20, that I would be teaching the word of God in a 4,000 K member church and that I would own, be the CEO of a company. I would have told you, to, you know, told you to go step off somewhere. Um, none of that was in my head. Um, my wife said, um, we, I was on my, I was on my second or first business. I had an insurance agency. My wife said she made the worst mistake she ever made in her life. She bought me a computer and I took to it like a fish to water to the point where I began to ignore all my other customers. So then she said she made the second worst decision in her life. She told me I had to choose between the insurance business and the computer business. So I promptly sold the insurance business and started a hardware company. Uh, unfortunately, this is a time when Dell and compact went into their first price war um, I may have, this is when, <laughs> this is when Netscape came out and I may have designed the first onsite ever onsite place where you could order computers, had no idea what the hell I had at that time. In fact, when I met the developer about 20 years later, uh, in the multi-church function, we ran into each other. It wasn't, how are you? How are the kids were like, what the hell were we doing? Like, what were we thinking? We had something and we didn't even know what we had. <laughs> so that's lesson number one, you know, be aware of what you have. So after that, um, uh, we decided to have a second child. The hardware, I had to shutter the hardware company. My wife said, I want a second child. We're not paying cash for this. Like we did the first one. You need to go find a job. I did, but eventually I got tired of it. I was working for companies and I was seeing like, I'd be sitting at with the executives and they'd bring this outside consultant who knew half what I knew and was getting paid twice what I was getting paid. And they would look at me, you know, why aren't you telling us these things when that's exactly what I've been telling them? You know, I was trying not to re you know, jump on the table and start strangling people. And I realized like a prophet has no honor in his own home and an IT guy has no honor in his own company and i realized i wanted to be the outside guy so i i i quit that job and i started what my wife told me would be the last business i would start i started transit technologies um and i got my first customers literally by going down and beating doors just saying this is what we're trying to do and i had a friend of mine who said hey i know somebody who might be interested in what you're trying to do and I was doing the flat fee. I think, you know, just per employee, we're doing flat fee services. I think we were the one of the first ones. Another one in Colorado started doing it at the same time, literally the first in the nation. And I just said, hey, you know, would you try this out? And they did. And then it just kind of led from there. And then one day I was looking down, bootstrapped it totally. We lost our house. We lost our cars. I, I would never do that again, but we did it. And um, with That's no money. That's not bootstrapping art. <laughs> That's Art, crazy. That's not right? what bootstrap means. We need to let everyone know uh, that's not what that means. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was tough. I would not recommend it. But so I go into more it. detail about that. What do you mean you lost the yeah, house? Uh, you yeah, sold well, the house I, to have more. Uh, yeah, yeah. We yeah we just offloaded everything and just got ourselves into. I well, I was leasing at that time. We we had to downsize. 
We had to get rid of a car. I mean, we did, we had to live so cheaply, but we literally, I've had no money flowing in except the money that I was producing per month. And we, it just slowly grew. And then one day I looked down and I had a couple of employees and I was owed $55,000 in invoicing. And I said, I need help. And I got two wonderful partners, one who's still very active with me today. And then we just kind of took it and just grew it from there. Um, now we're profitable. Well, we've been profitable every year. I mean, in 2008, I could have bought, probably bought you a box of ramen noodles with the profit we made, but we've been profitable every year. We have plenty of money in the bank. Uh, we're growing. We grew 40% in 22. 23 was a little more flat, but we were we were pulling the reins back. That was a lot to growth. We're going to do 40, 50% growth again this year. So, And how many employees? Yep. Uh, right around 30. Uh, we'll probably be at the 40, 50 mark by the end of this year. And so. how do you market these days? Yeah, it's still a lot by word of mouth, but we're doing a lot of LinkedIn. LinkedIn is proving very effective. We're getting a lot of leads out of LinkedIn. Um, we're about to redo our entire website. We're also about to, we are about to engage in some more. Uh, a, a friend of mine who was looking at my marketing said adult marketing, uh, but we've done so much by word of mouth and through vendor relationships um, that has produced a lot, a lot of leads for us. There's, um, you know, we don't call ourselves an MSP because unfortunately that has a, <laughs> that has some negative connotations to it that is probably deserved like evangelical. And so we are very much about, we're very high touch. Everybody else is going, you know, trying to go AI and automation and as less people as possible. And we're going completely the opposite direction um, and the results have been amazing people are just really loving what we're doing and then you add the cloud on top of it, it's great but yeah i never saw myself as an entrepreneur and then i never saw myself as a ceo our ceo stepped down six years ago uh the partner said you need to do it i was like i want to do this um and apparently i'm good at it unfortunately because i'm not going to get out of this position and so uh, the company has done nothing but grown since i uh under my leadership so it's i've mixed feelings about that there are days i love the ceo job and there are days I just really hate it. So what do you hate about it? You know, the tough conversations, uh, making the tough business decisions, um, you know, and you need to do all that. And you need to remain your positivity. We have a great culture. We did a culture survey last year. We got five out of five on our culture. Our literally the HR person who said that said she had never seen that in 30 years, like ever. So we're, we have a fantastic culture. So you have to, but you have to, to maintain that culture, you have to be very disciplined. You have to make tough decisions. You have to, um, you know, say things you don't want to say and confront and have conversations you don't want to have. And like I think what? that's how is the culture dependent on tough conversations? I mean, well, because if you, if you let table, everyone loves you and that's dependent on a tough conversation. Happening. Yeah. Foosball, foosball is not going to give you a great culture. What's going to give a great culture is that everybody's focused and knows the vision and everybody's bought into the vision and your values. And our values is we, we hear people, we empower people. We're empathetic. We, we are all about listening to people and getting it and not just, and we do this with our customers and our employees and the tough conversations is when, someone doesn't fit that culture and our culture protects itself like they let me know like this ain't working with this this exists executive or this person you need to do something about it and having those conversations particularly when people think that they're doing well and then you're having to tell them no like we've been warning you this is going on and you need to deal with it dealing with customers who are you know it's escalated to me and they're being unreasonable things like that these are you know, you're trying to find a way to preserve the relationship, but yet correct it at the same time. And these are difficult things to do. And most CEOs, I think, shy away from it. And if you don't, if you do, if you shy, and I used to do that when I was younger in, in my this role, and you learn, you're like, that just 
just ends up causing a lot of problems later. So you have to have these, the sooner you do it, the better. And, and those are tough. All right. Very interesting art. Very interesting. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your mentoring and your, uh, philosophy on entrepreneurship. What's your entrepreneurship pet peeve mine? I'll give you some time to think my pet peeve in the entrepreneurial world art is the corporate 500 guy. He's just put in his 30 years in one day and he's retired and he's got a great pension and he's going to become an entrepreneur and he's got office space and Sally is working for him. Uh, and he's got a, he's got an incredible golf shirt with his new logo that he wants to give you. So run on over to the office and Sally will hook you up with a golf shirt. It's got the amazing logo on it. I don't know exactly what we're going to do yet though. Art, we haven't exactly got a business plan decided on yet, but the logo is awesome. And Sally's got a golf shirt for you. Uh, that's my pet peeve. What's yours? Yeah, I think mine's in the same neighborhood. My pet peeve is people who don't want to go all in, who don't want to quit their job, don't want to, or don't want to work hard. Or they want other people to work hard on their idea. Um, that is my pet peeve. If you're well, going to be an entrepreneur, back. I'm going to push yeah. back, Art. Let me say this: when we talked yeah. about bootstrap earlier, yeah, bootstrap means you reduce your risk as much as possible. My dream sure. scenario is that I work, I start my business. I yep. start smoking so that I can take a smoke break every hour. That means I'm really outside <laughs> on the phone doing my business for 15 minutes. And right. uh, I take long lunches. And yeah. eventually my goal is for the boss to come in and say, dude, you used to be awesome and now you suck. What's up? And you say, well, my business is in its eighth month now and you've been paying my health insurance that whole time. And I'm doing as much of my job as I can. But my business is growing and you get fired. That's my dream low risk scenario. <laughs> Yeah, like there. Yeah, I, you're always managing risk, right? But my, I, I really think it's important that you have to come in and you have to, you have to put it all in on the table. You have to go for it. Otherwise, you don't believe in it. If you believe in it, you're going to go all in. It's like I deal with Christians all the time. Like if you really believe this stuff, then when Jesus says to love your enemies, you're going to love your enemies. Like you're really going to go all in. And I think being, that's my pet peeve. That's for me personally is like, you're not going all in. You're not get, you, And then you got to work hard. You know, the goal is eventually you're not working hard as hard as you were to say, and I'm not working like the way I was when it was originally started, but that that's for me my pet peeve is like you've got to really show that you believe this because if you don't believe it how are you going to get anybody else to believe it and i know i have a great team i have great people and i know that i have that because i've shown them repeatedly over and over i believe this i'm going to be right there alongside with you working hard making this happen um that's not saying i'm not going to hand it off to somebody at some point i'm not going to slow down i'm 56 i can't run like this forever and i don't work 80 hour weeks anymore i have a life but at the same time you do have to demonstrate like i believe this and you demonstrate that by your actions not by your words tell me about your new ai product then we're going to come back to entrepreneurship uh i want to more, know yeah. more about that yeah so the the ai product is we're really excited um again in sales so much as it's it can be who you know not what you know uh i this was a friend of mine he showed me the product six years ago i was like wow that's pretty revolutionary if you can get it to work 
if I'm being honest, I didn't think he'd get it to work. He came back to me last year and he's like, yeah, we got it working. And he showed me it's amazing. Um, the difference is it's not an LLM. It's not a large language model. So it's not the same as BARD or GUD. It solves specific problems, but it does it with very little resources. It can run a laptop and it outperforms them in accuracy and it doesn't hallucinate and it can tell you when it's wrong. And for instance, so we're using this product. For instance, we have a manufacturing company that every single job is custom. Like literally, they build custom doors and windows for companies and they have no way to predict like how long the job is going to take and roughly how much material they're going to need. I mean, they've got ideas, but it's not. And we're using this product to refine this and we're because it's solving a specific problem. We think it's the long-term solution for AI, and we're really excited about it. So, how does it not hallucinate? I've you know, that seems to be the big problem. That, you know, it's it's almost like the the HAL nine thousand issue. That uh, how have you yeah. solved that when no one else seems to have? Yeah, well, I didn't solve it. He did, right? The Avos did, but it, the name of the product's Avos A H V O S. But we, we uh, it seems to be contextually aware which is stunning. So it seems to, it, and when I say that, I don't, I'm not saying it's, it's, you know, prescient or it's, um, it has a conscious, it's conscious or aware, consciously aware of itself, but it does seem to be able to know like this doesn't fit a pattern. Uh, and that's huge. Like that is very huge. Um, from uh, that standpoint, you know, I haven't seen anything like that in LLM. The LLM is simply a parrot and that's all it does. Um, and this, this is a different, different beast uh and it's pretty incredible and we i wouldn't believe it except i've actually seen it in action and we're we're in beta testing with users now the companies now so all right anyway back to entrepreneurship uh, i yep. can't wait to see and learn more about the ai art that sounds fascinating back to yep. entrepreneurship uh you have a motivational rant about entrepreneurship as well yep yep Let's motivate rant me yeah so i love entrepreneurs i think uh, in the United States, so over 50% of, of employees still work for a company, less than, I think, 50, 60 employees. Most of these small businesses are started by entrepreneurs. Uh, entrepreneurship is the backbone of this country, and it's so important. And it's part of the American dream that people like me, a high school student, can start a company from scratch into a multi-million dollar company. And I think that, you know, it, so many people think in their head that dream is gone, and it's not. I mean, there's, I don't know, if, there's very few countries where you can still do that in the United, you know, in the United States is one of them. And I think entrepreneur people, we should encourage people to be entrepreneurs, to do this, because if we want to compete against the fortune 500 companies and things like that, we need a healthy middle-class and a healthy small businesses, because this gives people alternatives to go to if they don't like what they're seeing with the large companies. And some of these will become the large, next large companies. So I mentor entrepreneurs. I, you know, I take what little knowledge and all the painful lessons I've learned and help them to navigate. I, I do it through several organizations, C12, Foundry here in Austin, uh, which is, and then I do it just one of them. I have, you know, half a dozen people that I meet with once a month and we just go through everything, like what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with. And we also support each other. So I think that's very important too. So. And what's the hard part of being an entrepreneur? You know, being an entrepreneur is tough because it's hard for people unless unless anyone's done it, it's like being a CEO, unless anyone's actually done it and gone through the process, no one really understands what you're going through. It is just, it can be lonely. It's difficult. It's, 
is so difficult. It is so, I've been married for 32 years. I've raised two adults, successfully raised two adult children. Um, I'm just telling you, I teach the word of God in an interracial, intersocial economic, you know, uh, church, which is really interesting during elections. But uh, of all the things I've done, being an entrepreneur and being a CEO of a company is probably the most difficult thing because just nobody, unless you sat in that seat, it is very difficult to understand what, what you're dealing with. What's the hardest part of being a CEO? Is it the HR? those damn people uh, i used to run <laughs> summer camps or uh, we were the yeah. world's largest summer camp company and our joke was this would be so much easier if we didn't have kids to deal with if yeah exactly no campers my god this would be easy <laughs> oh i think being a ceo is difficult for two reasons one it requires personal sacrifice you're giving up something of yourself to run a company and that's very difficult it, you cannot be self. it's you can be selfish but you're not going to be a successful ceo i think that is very very difficult it, it, and it requires you to grow you have to grow and learn and change i'm not the same ceo i was six years ago like it, your company is probably going to only grow as big as the ceo will allow it to grow uh, you you the th you don't have the luxury of being dysfunctional you don't have the luxury of having a really really bad week you you have to shoulder on no matter despite your feelings or emotions you have to make the right decisions and do the right things even when you don't feel like doing them so i think that's probably the most difficult thing about being a ceo is that you're going to have to change you're going to have to grow and you're going to have to learn um and that can be difficult we, we don't like being honest with ourselves sometimes so no that sucks there's nothing worse than being honest with ourselves especially <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> or what else do you want to say we have about a minute left yeah, I, thanks for having me on the show. And I, you know, I just want to encourage people out there. Like, if you think you have a dream and you think you'll make it work, go test it. Go run with it. What's the worst thing that to happen? When I when I started my third business, I came to my wife. I wanted to make sure I had permission to do this. I would want to be divorced. And I asked her. I said, "Hey, I want to do this again." And she goes, "Let me think about it." And she came back to me and she shocked me because she said, "You know," she said, "I don't really want you to do this, but I also don't want you going to your grave thinking, what if I had tried this.'" What would have happened? And I'm so glad she did that. I love my wife for that. But that's what I would encourage everybody else. Go try it. Make it happen. If it fails, then you know. But at least you'll know. Great stuff. Art, how do we find out more? Follow online, hire, all of that. Just go to www.trinsictech.com. You can look at the AI. You can follow me, Art Powell. I'm on LinkedIn. You can follow me. I, I write a lot about AI. I blog a lot about AI. That's the best place. Um, you can find I will, will, I will be announcing a podcast called decades of disruption, and we're going to be talking about AI integration and how it maps to back in the eighties and nineties. A lot of the same stuff we're seeing that will be coming out February. We'll be announcing that on LinkedIn and on my website. So fantastic. Congratulations on that. We will look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Art. Thank you. Enjoyed it. We will be right back and you can probably tell from the music, something different is happening. Art is going to play the quick 10. We will be right back with that. We are back and have another brave contestant willing to play the quick 10. Please welcome Art Powell to the game. He is the CEO and founder of Trinsic Technologies, a cloud and AI firm. 
based out of Austin, which will become very relevant in just a second. Art, welcome to the Quick Ten. Thank you. I hear you're willing to play. I am required by Texas state law to ask, are you currently sober? Are you currently sober? <laughs> well, yeah, I would say so, yes. Okay, do you want to accept the standard wager? The standard wager. What is the standard wager? The bet that everyone else is willing to make. Uh, I'm in. There you go, Put number one, your favorite creativity hack. I play Minecraft, do something completely different than what you're trying to do. Number two, favorite bootstrapping trick. Live cheaply. Number three, name your top passions. Jesus, my wife, my children, and reading and video games. Number four, the first three steps in starting a business are. Work hard, work hard, work hard. Number five, the best way to get your first real customer is... Find someone you know who can refer to you some, to someone who may want your service or product. Number six, your dreamiest technology is... Ugh, artificial intelligent NPCs and video games, please. Number seven, best entrepreneurial advice. Success is about failing and learning from the failure repeatedly. Number eight, worst entrepreneurial mistake. Thinking I didn't have to pay myself. Number nine, favorite entrepreneur and why? Stephen wants one Zinke. He self-taught and left Apple when he needed to. And my God, someone make a movie about this man. Plane wreck, everything. They got to do it. Number 10, favorite superhero? Batman, of course. All right. While we calculate your score and find out the winner, how do we find out more and follow you on Trinsic? Just www.trinsictech.net or you can find me on LinkedIn, Art Powell. Fantastic. I'm just kind of stalling until we get your score. Oh, I've just been handed your score by our judges art. I am so sorry. You got a 94, <laughs> which is an excellent score, but you have to have a 95 to win. And so oh, okay. from Oklahoma dinged you for some reason. I don't know well, why. Because I'm in Texas. That's why this is rigged. Oh, it's so bad. You're calling us rigged. That really hurts. As a loser art, you owe us a Tesla. A Tesla. So I'll be looking forward to that very soon. Thank you for playing. You, it's in the mail. Thank you very much. <laughs> and we will be right back. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question, actually, Jim. Oh, my gosh. I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question, and, and I don't have a great answer. It, that's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question. And that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio. We are back in again. Thank you so much for being with us on this wonderful Friday. Remember, we can make it wonderful. It is our choice. Very excited to introduce two gentlemen. They are the co-authors of a new book. Please welcome Doug Linner and Chuck Wachendorfer. They are authors of a new book called Don't Wait for Someone Else to Fix It, Eight Essentials to Enhance Your Leadership Impact at Work, Home, and Anywhere Else that Needs You. Together, they run an organization called Think to Perform. They have been involved in corporate training and working with the intersection of money, health, happiness for decades. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing great, great. Jim. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. 
I like is. that intro. That's nice. For decades, we've been working on that intersection of money, health, and happy. <laughs> well, I'm I sorry, like guys, but we're all old now. I'm there, too. So <laughs> Absolutely. It's not you. It's us. Still <laughs> kicking it, though, right? That's right. right. That's right. I'm just now getting to my prime. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're I can't grow, grow old, but not up. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Doug, tell us me. Uh, tell me about the book. Don't wait for someone else to fix it. I thought that's now that we're old, that's what we're supposed to do. Let the younger generation fix it. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. That's a great question. You know, or it's a great uh, comment because as a once upon a time, a younger generation uh, person at that time, I didn't think it was a good idea to wait for someone else to fix it. And now that I've achieved being older, I think I was right then. And I think we are right now. Uh, we're in an interesting time. You know, one of the things that we've discovered in some of the work we do at Think to Perform, as we've looked at what people care about around the world, we have data from 146 nations worldwide that say people all over the world uh, kind of they value the same things. So the number one value in the world is family. And followed by health and happiness and relationships and friendships thing. And yet somehow we figured out how to polarize things. And we've got this finger pointing thing going on, like you're, here's a problem and you should fix it. So you've got one finger pointing at who's at fault, the other finger pointing at somebody that we think should fix it. And both Chuck and I came to the realization that, you know, each of us human beings really need to pick up our our weight and it's it's time for all of us to step up and everybody's a leader and the book is a toolkit for helping people be a leader at home and at work and anywhere else that needs them chuck yeah just to pile on what doug was saying we wrote this book uh and we were talking about the idea probably six years ago now we weren't wanted to write a book that met two criteria one it would be timeless that people could use 50 years from now just as much as they could use it today second criteria we had was we didn't want to write a business leadership book i think there's 1500 business leadership books published every year we wanted to write a leadership book that anybody could use anywhere and so i may not be able to solve global warming but I can do a better job of leading myself and making an impact, a positive impact on the people uh, in my life that are around me. And so that's really what we started out with this project was, was what are the things that we have learned or been taught by others that could benefit anybody anywhere, regardless of where you live to make that positive impact. And as Doug mentioned, there's plenty of issues, not just the big global ones, but there's the issues in my everyday life that maybe I could deal with differently or more effectively, think about differently. You know, we talk about in the book how important decision-making is. Decision-making has twice the impact on our performance than talent and skill combined. I'm not saying talent and skill don't matter. They just don't matter as much as decision-making. And we make 35,000 decisions a day. 
don't know if that's staggering to anybody. So I don't think about brushing my teeth or getting dressed or how I take my coffee. But those are choices every day that we make. And we don't have to make all 35,000 better. But if we made one or two better choices a day, you're talking about five, six, seven hundred better decisions a year. And if you've ever been to any kind of reunion, like family reunion or school reunion, you see the impact of decision making on people's lives. You go, wow, like, you know, you don't say this. This is like your inside voice. Like, you know, what what happened to you? Like we were doing the same thing at the same time, enjoying life at one point in school, and all of a sudden 35,000 decisions a day over 10, 20, 30, 40 years of your life takes your lives in very different directions. And so it's how do I become a better decision maker? What are the tools that I can use to improve that decision making? How do I know, Doug, what the decisions worth spending time on are? So it's not important what I wear most of the time, but there are some important decisions. I remember one of my favorite jokes, guys, was a couple was getting married and they went in for counseling and the wise priest said, you know, there's, it's really important that, you know, in the marriage, you divide up who's responsible for what. And I want the, the woman to be responsible for, you know, the, uh, the important stuff in life and the man for the really important stuff, you know, and I suggest in your marriage that the woman should be responsible for the important stuff, you know, like it's not that important, but not as important the too important to bother the man, like where to live or how many children to have or what job to have or any of these kind of minor things. The woman should be in charge. The man's like, well, what does that leave for me? The priest says, well, all the important stuff, like the United States position versus Soviet Chinese reproachment. You get to be in charge of that. The man's <laughs> like, oh, I get the important stuff. So, Doug, how do I know what to worry about? How do I know what decisions to spend time on? Well, you know, interestingly enough, I, I think a lot of people are looking outward for the answer. And what Chuck and I would suggest is that an opportunity to look inward. And one of the things that we encourage people to do, in fact, I encourage your listeners to do this right now. They can go uh, right online to thinktoperform.com and they can do the values exercise and take a, a few minutes to really give a little bit of time to thinking about what they care most about. Who are we ideally? You know, the first essential, Chuck talked about decision-making and you're uh, asking, how do I start? Well, it starts with, I, gotta, I, I ought to probably know who I am ideally. So our first essential is to know your ideal self. Your ideal self, ideally, and this is what we're pretty much finding, it's not true of 100% of the 8 billion people that populate the world, but most of the vast majority of the 8 billion people who populate the world have what you and I would label praiseworthy values. And what we suggest people do is get in touch with what you really care about. And, and what does really caring about that mean? Because the decisions you're about to make are decisions that will either align you with what you really care about or not. And as Chuck was saying, if you make just a few 
better decisions or a few worse decisions. It's like if you take off, I, I hear these things, if you leave uh, the, the, the earth and you head to the moon and you're off by one degree, you don't miss by a mile, you miss by hundreds of thousands of miles. So that, that little bit matters. And so what we encourage people to do is pay attention to who they are ideally and think about that routinely throughout the day and then be aware second essential know who you really are know your real self aim to be your ideal self you're going to fall short because you're like me we're all fallible human beings we won't be perfect but we can make progress and as chuck said these are tools that will last our lifetime and the lifetimes of people to come uh, because they're human tools dealing with human reality and humans care about stuff. And that's how I would anchor my decision-making. What do I care most about? I don't know, Chuck, would you add anything to that? Or Chuck, go ahead and lead us into another one of the essentials. Yeah. So I think, you know, once I know my ideal self and I start to pay attention to my behavior, what happens, Jim, is we notice when we're aligned, you know, alignment's a big word that we use at Think to Perform. So I notice when I'm aligned with my values and when I'm not, and there's no judgment in that. But the point here is self-awareness. So it's, why am I doing that? It, is, is this really important to me? How can I move more in that direction? Those are all great questions. You know, most of our lives we put on autopilot. Now, most of we do, what we do each day, we, we've always done. So 90% of our day is, is habit. And every pattern of behavior we have is a pattern because at some point it worked for us. And so what we're trying to help understand is as we get older and our lives change, which patterns are helping us and which patterns are holding us back. And there are some patterns that worked for me in my 20s that don't work for me in my 60s. So it's understanding what, what are the patterns that are holding me back from living who I hope to be more often, and how can I change those, those patterns to, to be patterns that work for me? And so we talk about things like uh, integrity and responsibility. In order to look in the mirror, I have to have some integrity and, and responsibility. I have to be willing to look at myself honestly and take responsibility for my own life. I really thought that's out of I, style these days. We're, we're, <laughs> is just, I thought that that was almost illegal now. Because yeah. well, no, <laughs> let's be honest. Let's really be honest. My faults are my parents' fault. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, you know, we, we've all gotten caught in this victim trap from time to time in our lives where it's somebody else's fault. And, but at some point, if I want my life to change, it's up to me, right? It's like the don't wait for somebody else to fix it. If my life's not working for me, I could probably wait for somebody else to fix my life. But I could also fix, fix it myself. And that's the, one of the, the essentials is integrity and responsibility. But it requires me to have the integrity to look at myself and then exercise the responsibility. My life today is a, is a product of the decisions I made yesterday. If I want my life to be different tomorrow, it begins with me making different choices today. 
And so I got to be clear about what are the choices that are working for me, moving me in the direction, as Doug says, towards my values. And what are the, what are the decisions I'm making that are taking me away from that? And one of the things we like to say at Think to Perform is changing behavior may be simple, but it doesn't mean it's easy. So this is like a lifetime of practice. You don't have to use all eight essentials to see an impact in your life, but you do have to use one of them. And, and there's a ripple effect is once I start to practice self-awareness, I will notice these patterns of behavior. Once I know my values, I can't unknow them. Once I'm willing to look at myself and take some responsibility for my life, I begin to move myself forward. The only person's life that we can control is our own, not anybody else's. That's bucket one. Bucket number two is everything we can influence. And there's only two things in that bucket, other people's behavior and my health. I can't control my health. I can't control other people, but I can influence my health and I can influence other people's behavior. And bucket three is everything else, all the stuff that we don't control. Successful people, people who live more consistently with their values, focus on bucket number one, what I can control. And the only thing in that bucket is my behavior and my decision making. That was really good. Written for young people (laughs) because us old people, well, you know, it doesn't really matter too much, right? We, we, we're, we're too old to change. This is written for the 20 year olds. You know, this is written for anybody, anywhere, Jim. I think, you know, I talked to a, a class of high school sophomores a few years ago, and I had never talked to a bunch of 15 year olds about values. In fact, I didn't know how it was going to go. It was probably one of my more anxious speaking engagements. Cause I didn't, know how the audience would you know resonate with what i was covering and they loved it we talked about values we took them through the values exercise because teenagers are trying to figure out what's important to them you know they had their parents values imposed on them but they're trying to figure out like what what do i really value i know what my mom and dad value but what what's important to me and they ate it up so i don't think it's age bound and right by the way and it was written by at least one old guy and a younger guy. I'm the old guy, just the younger guy. And I think so, we're both in the old category now. <laughs> but, I mean, one of the things that, and Jim, I, I think your point, though, it's a really good one to say. Old people, you know, theoretically can't change. That's not true. The, the research is clear that the human brain is more malleable, more changeable than we thought. And Chuck already said, most of what we do, we do because we did. And those habits get wired into the habit center of the brain. We can get into the technical terms, but that doesn't matter. They're habits, but they can be overridden by our mind. And that's true of elderly people or aging people. So one of the things that we now know to be true is that there actually is no end to better. So I'm approaching age 72, and I'm excited now to get older. I'm too old to be a football coach, but I'm too young to be president of the United States. So I'm a tweener. (laughs) Uh, You're the right age to be a retired president of the United States. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I don't know. That's probably not, I'm, I'm not a don't mean to make a political joke, but I couldn't resist that. That was well, <laughs> I, I, I find it funny that they're talking about these coaches that are too old at 71 and 72, my age. And then our presidential candidates are well past both of those ages. Yeah, but it's different for a football coach. And I think we're talking about Belichick here, who is 72, I believe. His job is to be interesting and appealing to a 22-year-old, you know? And it's a 22-year-old. I'd rather have a 50-year-old or a 40-year-old yelling at me than a 70-year-old, wouldn't you? (laughs) I don't know. I remember playing football. I hated being yelled at. (laughs) Picking up on on Doug's point around... uh, not being too old, learning agility, letting go of what you know is one of the eight essentials. So confidence breeds success. So I have to be confident to be successful. Success breeds overconfidence. So the longer I've been successful, the more I become overconfident. And when I become overconfident, I stop learning. I stop looking for new opportunities. I stop. I'm not as creative. And so one of the essentials is, is there'll be at times things that I have to let go that I think I know. Because one of the things we know is certain is change. And if I'm not able to learn and adapt, regardless of my age, then I become less effective in my life, in my business, with my family. And so learning agility is really key. We only have a couple minutes left. I'd love for both of you to respond, though. I think it's one of the last principles in the book, the idea of purposeful goals. Doug, how does good goal setting help me? What is good goal setting? Well, good goal setting takes into consideration things we've been talking about. It takes into consideration what I value. And good goal setting allows for me to put meaning into the things I do. We say the most effective people in the world live in alignment on and on purpose. And that means they think and do the things they need to think and do to achieve their goals while honoring their purpose in alignment with their ideal selves, their, their values. So appropriate goal setting pieces all that together and puts meaning into action day to day, moment to moment. Chuck. I think the other thing I add to what Doug is covering is you talk about goal setting. What we talk about in the book is goal achievement. And they're two different things. There's plenty of times where we set goals. In fact, Goal setting is often like one of the most uh, challenging things for people because what they most fear is the fear of failure. And so we're talking about goal achievement. Goal achievement happens when I'm not just clear on my goal. I'm clear on what it means to me, to Doug's point. Why is it important? And more importantly is what's it going to take Most people stop at goal setting. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to run a marathon. You know, those, that's it. What I don't often know is what's it going to take for me to do that? How many miles do I have to run? How much diet and how much exercise do I have to do to hit my weight loss goal? We call those key activities. 
key activities and things that I must do, I being first person, must being non-optional, do being action-oriented to hit the goal. And if I know what my key activities are, I can then ask myself the acid test question, which is, am I willing to do them? If the answer to that question is yes, then I have a goal because I know what it's going to take and I'm willing to do that. It passes what we call the acid test. Are you willing to do it? If the answer is no, you don't have a goal. You have a dream. Fantastic. I love it. Don't wait for someone else to fix it. Eight essentials to enhance your leadership impact at work, home, and everywhere, anywhere else that needs you. Doug Lenick and Chuck Wackendorfer. Doug, how do we find out more about you? Follow you online. Get a copy of the book. Well, you can, of course, go to our website, thinktoperform.com. You can go to any of your favorite uh, bookstores online, and depending on what uh, city you live in, in the store itself, they might be physical stores, but you can order it online. You can order it from our website. Uh, and uh, I do this. Uh, you, can, you can easily contact us by email, uh, so that's easy, and, and you can even cell phone me if you want. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah, same. I mean, the, the book's available on any online retailer. So it's also available on Kindle, audiobooks. If you don't like to physically read, you got other options besides that. We also have a podcast that they can perform. You can listen to our podcast. Doug gives people plenty of options. You can also go to the website, take the values exercise that Doug talked about uh, earlier for free. There's no no charge for that. So there's all kinds of ways you can reach out to us. Fantastic. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Congratulations. I didn't mention at the top published by Wiley. Uh, very impressive. You don't get much more prestigious than that in business books. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim, very much. We are out of time, but we do come back. That's right. Next week. Have a safe weekend. Take care and go get like six hours of work done for next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. Bye now.